Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right. It is me, and we are listening to bumper music that has electric guitar in it. One, I really like the bumper music, and two, the reason for it is it has electric guitar. And our next guest, one of my favorites from the open mic at the Frederick Coffee Company series, Sam Biskin plays predominantly electric guitar, although he does play acoustic as well. He's also an instructor, an all-around good guy, and one of our favorites, my wife's and Carol and mine, from the open mic series and from the uh, Christmas show that we used to do. He's on the phone with me right now. Hi, Sam. How's it going, Todd? It's going really, really well, and this is a treat for me because I don't think you and I have had a conversation in person for a minimum of two years. It's been a while. Yes, it is. Yeah, and uh, we had so much fun in the Frederick Coffee Company open mic series, and also especially for the Christmas show, and you were always a highlight of that show for a number of reasons. One, everybody loves Sam, and uh, you used to play Happy Hanukkah. Oh, yeah, the, the Adam Sandler, right? Yes, and it was just so much fun. The crowd loved it. Well, you know, that's what the open mic was about. I, I can remember so many uh, nights playing up there, and, and we would do a lyric, and the audience would respond back, and, and it was just so much involvement. That, that was a really great scene for quite a while. It really, really was. So what have you been up to during this whole pandemic thing? I've just basically, you know, we went to teaching online. A lot of, a lot of the teachers I know, we, we went to teaching online and I'm still, I, I still have one band that's kind of active. We're trying to be careful, a uh, band called Switch Track, which is my rock band, which is, we're all over the place. We play everything uh, from Yakety Sax to Mississippi Queen. <laughs> uh, I've got a country band called uh, uh, the Music Land Band. We're really not doing a lot right now, and, and then just just playing music, you know, mostly learning to do some rec- uh, recording on the computer, also. Well, you've been teaching for how long? It's got to be fifteen years. Yeah. Now, how did you get started teaching guitar as opposed to just well, pl- performing? Well, that was kind of, well, I was working, you know, I used to print t-shirts and, and my body couldn't take it anymore. And actually one of the first people who gave me a job was my, my boss, his son was learning guitar and I discovered by accident, you know, I'm easygoing, I can communicate, I'm supportive, you know, and, uh, I end up getting people to learn stuff. And then I had another friend who lived in the same neighborhood. This is over near Potomac. And he handed me over uh, uh, about four or five lessons and then eventually I had an old friend at music and arts and another friend, a mutual friend went up there. My friend, John Penn, who plays bass with me, who's like my best friend in life, the guy running it, I, we knew from high school. So he hired me, uh, at the music and arts out in Ellicott city. And, uh, you know, it's gone up and down, but I've been, I've been doing it since then. And I got to say, you know, playing live is great, but teaching is also extremely rewarding. Now, what is the average age of the student who you teach? Well, usually, you know, teenagers, usually, you know, somewhere between between 12 and, and, and 14. Uh, but I've, I've taught people as young as six years old, and I've taught people, uh, you know, that were in their late 60s. Mm-hmm. Now, who, but, uh, but mostly kids. Yeah. Now, do the kids learn quicker? They pick up some stuff, you know, um, it depends. Now, the biggest thing is the commitment to play, you know, because some people, they don't realize... And anybody will tell you this, you know, you have to play for a minimum amount of time a day just, just to maintain, you know, um, 
30 minutes, I would say. However, the big thing is pick it up every day, Mm -hmm. you know, and and, and I know we talked about that, you know, just pick it up, just play it. And uh, the kids, if if they get interested, you can't stop them. They will play all the time. Uh, And there are some adults, we start off slow. I've got one student and then we come back. Okay. I learned this a year ago. I've, I've listened to it more and I want to learn some more about how to do the different parts. Uh, But yeah, kids pick stuff up. And then, and of course being a guitar teacher it's easy i just play a bunch of uh, classic rock and at some point they usually say that's a cool song i want to learn that and that's where it starts now do you start them off learning how to play a song or do you teach them scales because i know every instructor is somewhat different in their approach yeah i'm more of the song guy you know i i I will show them you know uh, a song and if it's simple enough and usually the first thing is you know the five basic open chords Mm mm-hmm uh, which is, you know, the C, G, D, A, and E. Uh, and then some some people are interested in lead guitar. So I, I'll start with, with chords and scales. Uh, but I, I like to find a song or a form of music they like, because that means they're going to go home and play it. Right. You, you know, that's the thing. And, and there are different styles of teacher. I, I have a friend that's a teacher, and he's very tough on his students, but he has some amazing students. But we both agreed it's everybody's different. And the big thing is communication and support and and getting them to motivate into playing and getting them interested. Now, when you started off playing, did you you take lessons? Oh, yeah. Um, Actually, my my parents were really into music. um, uh, And they knew uh, some local musicians uh, that played, you know, kind of, I guess what you call society music back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, they got me my first teacher, which was a guy named uh, Hansel Valencia. And he was a jazz player. Very patient guy. So, yeah, I started out with him. And uh, I guess about a year after that, you know, the rock guitar bug kicked in. And and he taught me some stuff. And then the next teacher after him was a more more of a uh, jazz and rock and all around blues uh, guitarist. Now, how old were you when you started guitar? I was 13. 13. Now, had you played, go ahead. Go go ahead. Now I was going to ask, did you play other instruments prior to that, say in school recorder or trumpet or anything like that? No, we just had a lot of music around the house. You know, my mom was, was real into opera and musicals and Frank Sinatra and my dad had an extremely wide taste. He, he started collecting jazz records in his teenage years. And I think the first blues influence I had was listening to his boogie-woogie piano records, even though I'm a guitar player. So right after my bar mitzvah, you know, they, I, I, I thought if I can learn this, I can learn to play guitar. And my mom said, do you want to take lessons? Sure. So when I was 13, I started. Mm-hmm. Now, were you a quick starter or a slow starter? You know, I would say, you know, probably in between, not real slow. There was some stuff that I, and I can remember, that's why I relate to my students. I can remember some stuff was really hard to learn. But after about three months, I, I was getting it down. I, I, you know, I was able to play chords and I started playing some simple songs. But, you know, it took, it took about three months to really, you know, study it. And, and it was funny because when I started out, it's like, you know, go play your guitar. Oh, you know, and then after three months, you know, you're late for dinner. I was playing my guitar. <laughs> now, did, so, uh, you, did you start on an electric guitar or did you have an acoustic at that time? No, I had a classical guitar, which luckily the neck was a little smaller than some of them. Uh, so uh, it was a little easier for me. But yeah, I started on a, on a classical 
And then I, I guess, like I said, after a while, the rock and roll bug kicked in. And finally, you know, probably about uh, eight or nine months later, please, mom, can I have an electric guitar? And they saw I was interested. So they said, okay, we're going to help you because we see you're doing it. Well, you know, it, it's interesting that you started on classical and then went to rock, which many, many people do. But in the rock world, Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull is about the only person I know that I can think of who actually could integrate a classical or a nylon string guitar into a rock movement. Oh, yeah. I would say maybe maybe, maybe some of the stuff that Yes did, but... Well, that, it, that's but the, the but yeah, it was pretty rare. It was pretty rare to integrate that. Uh, yeah, cla- and and you know, classical guitar itself, and a lot of jazz guitar. That's the later '80s when you had guys like Eddie Van Halen. I remember going to my my next teacher, which was a jazz guy, and he heard uh, he heard some Van Halen and some Ozzy Osbourne, and he said, "Hey, those those guys are playing jazz scales in a rock song." He right away he saw what that was, huh. and. Right. So now when you when you listen to some of the more esoteric, crazy, heavy metal, they use a lot of classical scales. And it, it was more blues-based until probably the late 70s. So I would assume then that those players probably had, in their formative years of guitar playing, had some classical training or jazz training. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had Eddie Van Halen was known. Uh, he, he was actually he was, he was trained to play classical piano, but he had those roots. You know, mm-hmm. and I, from what I understand, uh, this guy that played with Ozzy Osbourne, the first guy, Randy Rhodes, was actually a guitar teacher, and his mom ran a guitar store, and he was very educated about music. Now, either that classical guitar or, well, and what, what was it? What brand do you remember? Uh, yeah, it, uh, I, there was a place in White Oak, Maryland called Campbell's Music. It was mostly the guys that would sell the big pianos and and. and you know, the big organs and stuff, but, uh, yeah, it's a Cambella acoustic. Okay. Uh, it, it's not a great, but you know, at this point looking at it, I'll bet you it's probably made of actual wood and it may be better than some of the stuff you get now. Now, do you still own it? Oh yeah. Do you really? Yeah. I hold, I held on to it. Yeah. I still have that thing. Now, do you ever uh-huh. pick it up and play or is it in playable condition? It's playable. The intonation is not so great, but I, I, I every once in a while I fool around on it because it, that was my guitar that I learned. I mean, before I had an electric guitar, I used to play uh, Third Stone from the Sun by Jimi Hendrix, and my little sister would always knock on my door, play that again. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So uh, that was my first guitar. And, uh, you know, for, for, like I said, almost a year, that's what I played on. And finally, you know, they saw I was working at it. So I got a. Uh, a, uh, a WMC, a Washington Music Center, Les Paul copy, and a little amp. And do you still own that one? No, unfortunately, that's long gone. I'm not mad, but yeah. no. But uh, my first real Gibson was a uh, Les Paul, which I bought. Uh, my parents went halves on me in 1977 when I graduated from high school, and I still have that thing, and, I, and it still plays. I bring it out once in a while. You've seen it. Mm-hmm. Now, is that the black one? It's it's kind of, no it's it's kind of blue it's a blue metal flake I think I brought it up to the open mic okay. once yep. yeah um, and you know and then I've got you know my three favorite guitars I got that and I've got a, a nineteen ninety nine American Standard Strat and a Guild and you see my Guild a Guild D thirty five so mm-hmm. those were the three that I really you know was the roots and now I play a lot of Fenders and Gibsons you know and I also have a, a 
a 12-string Yamaha, and I have a, a newer uh, Martin. I think it's called a DX1, which is like made in Mexico. Mm-hmm. But uh, mostly, you know, mostly that that one silly that one Les Paul was my only guitar for a long time. Now, when you're at home and you're not teaching, what's the first score? If if you just feel like playing guitar, what guitar do you pick up? Oh, uh, usually uh, Stratocaster. Uh huh. Is there a reason because, for that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love Les Pauls, but Stratocasters are more versatile tone wise. You can play just about anything on a Stratocaster. Now, why um, why is that? Why can't you use a Les Paul for other things? Well, you can, but the thing is about a Stratocaster, it's it's funny because it's bolted together as opposed to glue together, and it's made usually of of a little bit lighter wood that that kind of is more trebly, mm-hmm. and it's got the three pickups, and you so you can you can get a few more tones. But you know, if I want to play something like like Crossroads or or, or Led Zeppelin, I'll use you know I'm more likely going to use the Les Paul once in a while, mm-hmm. uh, and also the Les Paul weighs a ton. Yeah, I've had many guitar players who played electrics say that they, when they get to to m- close to my age, and I'm seventy years old, they say, "Yeah, I, it broke my heart, but I had to get rid of my Les Paul." And I'll say, "Why?" And they because my shoulder hurt too badly. Yeah, well, as you know, my back is shot, so I sit down to play anyway, so right. that's not a problem. Um, but yeah, they're they're very heavy, and the reason you know they're very dense. The older ones were made of very dense pieces of wood. Uh, you know, maple mahogany, and it's just, it's that, that heavy duty wood really gives it a lot of sustain and it gives it that real bassy sound that you usually get out of a Gibson. Now, for those people listening, and we have people from all over the world listening, so most of them I'm assuming are guitar players, but probably not all. Name a few famous guitar players who play a Les Paul predominantly, and then a few who play predominantly a Stratocaster. Okay, yeah, I got to think about this for a second. Um, well, you know, and some people will play both, but but usually uh, you'll see a lot of heavy metal guys now that play the Les Paul. You okay. know, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see, you know, you'll see different different players, and and it's that low down sound. God, now you got now my brain is. Uh, hold on one sec. So let me start with a Stratocaster, okay? Because okay? that's easier. So so you look like Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at, uh, who else? Um, Eric Clapton used to play Gibson's. Now he's, he's more of a Strat guy. Uh, you look at uh, Jeff Beck, of course, one of my favorites in the world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, plays a Stratocaster and another guy who switched over. Um, so, you know, and then you've got the, a lot of country guys that play, that play the uh, Stratocaster. You know, I think, uh, I, I think, uh, oh, what's his name? Anyway. Uh, let me let me go on from that. Sorry. Yeah. Well, no, that's okay. Uh, would would the Les Paul be? Oh, oh, Pink Floyd. Let me say that David Gilmore, another, and those guys all they are known for that Stratocaster tone. Okay. You know, uh, and and they're and and I think they're amazing. Some of those guys are amazing because of what they went through, you, you know, musically, and they use these, you know, they and you know it's them when they when they play. What I like about that when when they play. You know who it is right away, and to me, that's that's one of the marks of a great guitar player. Uh, is is as soon as you hear that person, you know who it is. Mm-hmm. Well, the, okay, the one you... the one who comes to mind to me is Mark Knopfler. He has a very unique style. Yeah, and and the interesting thing about him, 
he does not use picks. Uh, he's one of the rarities. There's a few. There's a, there's a few people in rock and roll that do not use picks, and and he's one of them. Okay, so let me get back now uh, for a second. Okay, so Billy Gibbons from from ZZ Top uh-huh. is a Les Paul player. Okay. Uh, Slash from Guns N' Roses. Uh, of course, Jimmy Page from Zeppelin. You know. Uh, and then you've got, you know, you got Les Paul himself, which I was lucky enough to see him a long time ago one time. And uh, nicest guy, you know, and, and those are a lot of them, you know. And, but but that, that's who reminds me of, you know, uh, when I think of Les Pauls. You know, is, is uh, Les Paul, Billy Gibbons, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Page, Slash, you know. Oh, and then, and then the guy, like I said, the guy that was originally with, with Ozzy, uh, Randy Rhodes and also Ace Fraley. Now, I, I will admit, I, I was a Kiss fan when I was a kid, and, he, and it's not the most complex music, but to me, he was like Mister Personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those guys are all, you know. Oh, and then of course, you know, Leslie West went back and forth. I mean, he played a Les Paul Junior a lot of the time. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, but those so that and there's a difference in sound. So when you look at it, the guys who play Les Pauls, they have that big, thick sound. Uh, there are some guys that play them clean, you know, and that's more of a blues thing. But but I think from what I was reading in an article, Les Paul said these these rock players figured out that if you plug a Les Paul into a Marshall amp and turned it up, you just got this huge ungodly tone that you didn't get from other guitars. Now, were, is the Les Paul style of guitar more popular with blues players predominantly? No, I would say honestly, it's still it's, it's blues players. I would say it's it's more like the the uh, the Telecaster, the Stratocaster, and, and maybe you know, you see like BB King, those guys who play mm-hmm. the big hollow body three thirty five. Yeah, and that's and I've got I've got an Epiphone three thirty five. I I got from a friend. He wanted a good home for it, and I'll tell you what, they are beautiful. Even though it's not a Gibson, it's the same thing. You know, the hollow body guitar it has more tone. And if you're playing clean, it, it has a really nice tone. Mm-hmm. Now, you so, know, so that's, you, you know, you see like BB King, Freddie King, a lot of those guys, a lot of the blues guys played the three thirty fives. Now I'm curious why you never get into Telecasters. You know, I just, I've always wanted one and it just kind of by circumstance, I, I had a Stratocaster for a long time. And then I, I traded, I had the black Les Paul you saw, which was very lightweight and just didn't sound that good. It, it, it On stage, the volume level was so different than all my other electric guitars. I, and some people might not believe it. I traded that for a Mexican Stratocaster. Huh. And then I, I almost bought a Telecaster because we had a singer in my rock band, uh, uh, who who we were going to tune down. Well, I saw a, a Squire Telecaster. They're probably the cheapest vendor that's good. It disappeared. And then my my uh, supervisor at, at work, and when I was working at Music and Arts, gave me a hell of a deal on a Stratocaster. So she said, okay. And I didn't mean to have three of them, but now I have three Stratocasters. And it's close enough to the telly. One day, I'm told I'm not allowed to buy any more guitars for a while because I have about 16 or 17 guitars. <laughs> I'm a firm believer there's never too many. You know how it is. I do. <laughs> now, what is the the dis, the difference between a Stratocaster sound and a Tele sound? To me, they're electric guitars because I'm mainly an acoustic player. So, right now they're very close. I I, I would say that, that on the Telecaster, it's a, it's more twangy, it's more country sounding. You know, okay. you get a little 
different of a high end. Uh, and you don't have as many, you know, you have two pickups, you don't get as much of a selection of sound. But, I mean, and, and it all depends on the guitar player. But, you you know, if you look at country guitar, most of them will be playing a Telecaster. However, like Albert Collins, who is a very famous blues player, I think they called him the Iceman, he played a Telecaster. So there are exceptions. Mm-hmm. Now, just they're, they're, you know, and Prince played a Telecaster before he got those crazy custom guitars. Yeah. Now, if you were to get a Telecaster, is there a specific color that you'd want? I, you know, I don't know. I've got, I mean, I've got so many different ones. Maybe a red one because I've got blue and black guitars mostly. You know, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, and but I tell, and I tell anybody that's going to try out a guitar, if the, you know. Sit down, play it. If it's comfortable, if it's got something special, and especially an electric guitar, if you can hear a nice sound, a nice if it has a nice ring to it, right? Forget the color and all that stuff. If it's the model you like and it, and the guitar speaks to you, buy it. Yeah. Now, you the, know, and, and that, that, that's that's a little bit of, you know with mail order, you can't always tell what you're going to get. Sure. Now the the and it's not a problem at all, but an acoustic guitar, other than the different styles of acoustic pickups you can put into, into the guitar. Now there's probably three main styles, sound hole, right. a soundboard transducer, and then an under saddle. And then there's combinations of internal mic things, but it's pretty much the sound of the guitar. You can't change the sound of the, the acoustic guitar organically because right. it, it just, that particular guitar sounds that way. You can enhance it a little bit with EQ and stuff in the studio. But electric guitars are different. You can swap out pickups since your main source oh, yeah. of sound is the pickups. So and that, isn't that what's called hot rodding on an electric guitar? Yeah. And especially Leo Fender, when he did, if you look at a Fender guitar, it's like a 50s hot rod. You can, you can, you can change the pick guard. You can change the pickups. You can change the neck. You, yeah, the whole thing is like a, is like a car. Uh, you can't modify a uh, Gibson as much, but yeah, you can put new pickups in. Uh, and you can you can have some options, uh, but what I've discovered is, uh, you know, I've had a couple of guitars. Uh, like I said, I had this black glass Paul, which sounded great when it was distorted, but it was really light wood, and it it never sounded good clean. Huh? And it's weird. And so I've never been able to to you know I, I even put hotter pickups in it, but it just didn't have a good tone. I have a, a, a less uh, flying V, which a friend of mine gave me, and it, and it had these super distorted pickups in it. And I swapped them out for for something that pickups that were made for clarity and power more than distortion, and it sounds great. So so it really depends on the piece of wood. Even though it's an electric guitar, it's, you know, to me, if you go to play clean and it has a weak tone, it's hard to fix that. Yeah. You know, and that's why people like stretch. You can swap so much out, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so, so it's, it's still the electronics and with an electric guitar. If you're good, you can, you can get a lot of different tones, but you know, part of it is the player. You know how people think if I buy this guitar, I'm going to sound just like so-and-so and, and it's not how it works. <laughs> you mean I can't sound like John Mayer or Brad Paisley? You can work at it, you know, but the guitar, you know, the famous thing is, you know, I want to buy, I want to buy a, a, a Les Paul copy for a hundred bucks and sound like Jimmy Page. And sure. It's like, they're not going to do it. You know, I want to buy a Martin D35 and those guys and, and like some of the young kids that I teach, the amount of discipline and work, you know, for, we know we're musicians, we know what we do, but for some people, they don't realize until they get to know a musician 
that, you know, you put time in every day and, and you're trying to grow, you're trying to get better. Yeah. And, and you have your ups and downs. Now, knowing that electric guitars have a much lighter gauge string than a, um, an acoustic guitar, and knowing that you swap back and forth sometimes and play acoustic guitars, but you predominantly play electrics, is it difficult for you when you pick up an acoustic because the string gauge is heavier and the action may be higher? Well, honestly, what I've been doing is going to a lighter gauge string. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, and I think we all are. I talked to you to some of my colleagues, uh, uh, that are, can play circles around me on acoustic, that I talked to at, at music and arts. He said, Hey, it's okay to put a lighter gauge on an, on an acoustic guitar. You know, we're getting older, you know, we can't, <laughs> we can't, you know, so, and what I was told is Martin, uh, in the early twenties, I guess they were trying to compete with the bluegrass players and they couldn't get a lot of volume out of the guitar. So they put these real heavy gauge strings on, which is what prompted Martin to redesign the, the top of the guitar. So it could, you know, so it could, it could take the stress, mm -hmm. but, um, and it's crazy at this point, you know, I've gone, I've gone down in string gauge. I just can't quite, you know, I, I'm bummed out, but, uh, well, you know, I'm 61. So, you know, you got to make adjustments. Now on your electrics, what gauge string do you use? Well, this is crazy. Everybody thinks I use 11s, which is, which mm -hmm. is a heavier gauge than a lot of people use. Most people use tens or nines, but my guitars are set up extremely low. And um, most of the time, you know, when people play them, they go, wow, those are 11s, really? Now, the, now the funny part is I'm actually going to a lower gauge. I play 10s on acoustic because they're a little harder to play. And you know me, every guitar is a lead guitar. I can't help myself. I'm yeah. play some lead guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I've actually gone uh, to a – and then the 12-string is tuned down, uh, you know, tuned down a whole step, which I know a lot of guys do over the years because – those 12 strings put a lot of strain on it. They really do. And they're light. They're, they're light. So I play light acoustic gauge strings. Uh, and if you have a decent guitar with a, with a big body, you know, if you have a dreadnought, you know, or even a parlor guitar, as long as it's got the full the thick body, you're still going to project the sound. Yeah. Now of all the guitars you've owned since that, you know, initial one, Campello, whatever you called it. Yeah. What would your, and it could be one you no longer still have. What was your favorite guitar or is your favorite guitar of a lifetime? Oh, it's still the Blue Les Paul. Is it? It's uh, Yeah, it plays like butter. It's so easy to play. It, it, it has sustained for days. And, uh, you know, it's not like not quite as versatile, but as far as playing, it's just so easy to play. And I've played it for so long, you know, it becomes like a part of you. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's my favorite, but my American Strat is my second. You know, those are my two uh, guitars that I like the best and that play the best. Now, I know that for electric guitar players, and, and like you're saying, many of them have a specific brand and model, say a Strat versus a Tele or, or Les Paul right. or something, or maybe even a, a semi-hollow body, but they also are very particular with their amp amplifiers. Do you have a favorite or favorites? You know, I'm pretty adaptable. I mean, I would say Fender, you almost can't go wrong with a Fender tubing. Mm -hmm. And I've had, you know, I've had a, a set of Fenders and and Marshall, but Marshall, it's pretty raw. You have to really know how to control that. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah, they're just, because it's, 
you really have to, if you, and especially if you listen to the older stuff, like the old Cream and Hendrix and stuff like that, they're pretty raw amps, but they'll cut. That, to me, the big thing is, will it cut through the band? Mm-hmm. And, and it's not a matter of volume as much as tone, and tubes just respond really well to dynamics. You can play harder or softer uh, through a tube amp, and it really makes a difference. So, you know, I have right now, I have something called a Palomino, which is a crate amp, but it's called a boutique amp. They made that, uh, it was a specially made amp. And that one, it's got a real sparkly fender clean, and then you can go, you know, you can go into some real heavy distortion. Now, um, yeah, no, go ahead. Um, and then I also, you know, and it, but I'm adaptable. I also have a little PV amp that uh, Robert Pereira sold me, a little 50-watt amp, which is transistor, but we... We put it's like a car with a motor you can't blow up. We put a real heavy duty JBL speaker in it, and it's not quite up to the to the standards of the tube amp, but it gets a it gets a really good clean sound with a lot of bottom, uh, which I was having with another smaller amp. I, I it was too distorted, and this thing is just it stays it stays in the band trail or it's easy to carry. If we have a bigger gig, I'll, I'll bring the tube amp. Now with electrics. And again, portability is, is a, a huge thing. But, you know, back in the day, in the, the, the late 60s and the 70s and the 80s, when you saw photos of bands on stage, they'd have these huge Marshall stacks or something where there'd be two or three cabinets high, sometimes even more. And now when you see them on stage, there's this little, you know, you know, 18-inch tall amp with a microphone yeah. sitting in front of it. Well, so, you know... We didn't have, I mean, back then, first of all, they didn't have monitor systems. I mean, even those guys were singing through nothing, you know, but that was a thing, right? And and as it, time went on, you know, they figured out how to put a mic up to it, how to go through the PA with the amp, mm-hmm. and, and you, didn't, you didn't need that. And the other thing, and I think as you get older, you discover this. Okay, so when I was a kid, I had a 50-watt Marshall with an 8-10-inch speaker cabinet. I could never turn it up past two if I was lucky, right? <laughs> right. With a tube, and with a tube amp, you want to work it, right? So if I have something with 40 watts and I'm pushing it, if it's at five or six, you get more of what a tube amp is about, which is the dynamics and the difference in sound. So what good is having some giant tube amp if you can't turn it up past two? Yeah. Now, was it... Was, was, wasn't there, t- and again, I'm, I'm an acoustic player, but I seem to remember for a while they had st- almost stopped producing tube amps and they went solid state. And so guitar players would try to purchase vintage amps that were tubes. Is that, am I correct in that or am I wrong? No, well, they, they, they figured out pretty quickly that, that us guitar players love tube amps. So for a little while, oh, you know, the transistor is going to replace the tube and, I don't, you know, and I'm not that technical, but the way that a tube responds and the the distortion that you get from a tube is called a sine wave, which is like a violin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the distortion you get for most transistor amps, except for ones that might have a tube in the preamp section, is is kind of nasally and flat sounding. It, it's like you remember in the '60s, some of the guitars would be real fuzzy and nasty sounding. Yes. Uh, so a tube amp will give you a nicer tone because of the distortion characteristics. Um, and, 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 you know, and if you look at a guy like I'll name a local guy, Bobby Flurry, I mean, the, the couple times that I've seen Bobby play electric and, and we were lucky enough to have him come up to our open mic at Crusaders, you know, Bobby's got a guitar and an amp and that's it. And he doesn't need anything else. And he's one of those guys who listen to him play through a two man. You're like, wow. Yeah. 
you know, that's that. So that's the thing. It's really, uh, and, and also a tube amp, you know, you know, the wattage goes up and down. Sometimes the notes that you play will have a, a really uh, loud peak in certain things you play. So it's more responsive in general. Yeah. Now in a tube amp, are tubes like light bulbs? They'll blow out occasionally. So do you have to have spares? Oh, it's very rare, but I mean, it's if if I had a, a busy enough schedule. Yeah, usually tubes, after a few years, you have to change them. They'll either get microphonic, where you'll hear like a weird squeal, or a kind of, yeah. So, you know, and I mean, my one tube amp that I use, we use that every Friday night at the open mic that we ran. And uh, I, I had to change the tubes after like two years, which is not bad. Now, do they just plug in? pull out and push in or how do you, how do you attach them? Yeah. Yeah. They, you just push them in, right? Yeah. You just, they just push in and, uh, never, you know, the only thing is, you know, obviously you try not to, you, when you put them in, you, you don't put your hands on it. You don't want to get anything on the glass part of the tube. So what it's you, not super critical. So what do you have? Like a, a pair of cloth gloves or something that you use? Yeah. Just gloves or just be very careful. And then the other thing is, you know, you can never move a tube amp when it's hot. You got to let it cool down or you could break, you could crack a tube. Ah, okay. So that, that's, but most of the time, you know, you turn it off, let it, you know, you let it sit. I've never had that problem, but I, I long time ago, I did have a tube amp when I was a kid. The, 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 the one tube went microphonic and started making horrible noises, and we had to we had to switch it. Usually, it's a gradual wearing down, and after a while, you go, "Oh, wait, you know what? Let me check the tubes." Mm-hmm. And, and then, it, or one will wear out before the other. But now you can get tubes, you know. And what happened was there was a company called Groove Tubes, and they bought up all the military, all the U.S. military tubes, you know, because they all went to. You know, they got away from tubes, so they bought all of those, and that was around for a while. And now it's mostly they're made in China or or, or Russia, believe it or not. Huh. So we don't, yeah, we don't make a lot of, we don't make tubes, but guitar players are still nuts about them. So, you know, I don't see that going down anytime soon. Yeah. Now, in your band work, is there the occasion once in a while to play an acoustic, or is it 100% of the time it's electric? No, actually, believe it or not, I'm playing a little bit of banjo in my rock band. Are you really? I'm playing very simple, you know, three very simple songs. Yeah, well, I, I had this banjo for a while, and I started fooling with it. And uh, the guys in my rock band said, hey, what do you think about playing a couple of songs on the banjo? I'm like, are you kidding? Okay. <laughs> Why not, right? So I, the right-hand picking is, I mean, what I play is, is more... Like uh, Dixieland jazz style, you, they use a pick, mm-hmm. you know, because before the guitar was electric, banjos is what they use with with, with the band because it had the volume. So we do uh, we do a lot of the dead skunk in the middle of the road, yep. and then we do the old Loudon Wainwright, and we do Battle of New Orleans, and then we just learned this Squirrel Nut Zipper song called Hell, which is kind of a Dixieland jazz thing. And we have a great saxophone player in my rock band, so he will play three different saxophones on the song hmm. and, and it's, but it's fun. Yeah. It's, and I tried to play the mandolin, but my fingers are too big. <laughs> now it's is your not. banjo a four string or a five string? It's a five. Yeah. 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 And I know they used the tenor banjo in a lot uh, more, I think in a lot of the early jazz stuff I've been reading up on it, but um, yeah, but it's a five string. And, you know, I thought about getting one of those, uh, it's kind of a guitar banjo thing. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I can deal with it. You know, it's kind of fun to learn something so different. And, and I mean, after playing guitar, banjo is very strange. Yeah, there's, there are lots of jokes about banjo players. I'll tell you what, though, that right hand and what I've seen from her, I had a friend who used to play. You have to have the thumb and three fingers. If you want to play bluegrass, you got to have that triplet hammering on and off mm -hmm. uh, if you have less of it. So I have a lot of respect for those guys that, that, that you know, that, that can do that, that, uh, that super bluegrass picking. I'm amazed when I see some of them, how quickly they play. I mean, those notes are like a split second behind each other. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's just wild. Yeah. I'm looking at that stuff and it's like, okay, yeah, maybe 10 years if I keep at it. <laughs> now during this pandemic time, you're still in the two bands. I think you mentioned one of them. You're just not doing a whole lot. Is, are you just more rehearsing? Or have you been able to play out anywhere? We're we're my, with the country band. It's been a we're we're kind of going in and out of different material, trying some different uh, stuff. Uh, with the rock band, we we didn't play for a while. We laid off, you know, when the, things started getting really crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, late in the year, we said let's just lay off. And we just try to take precautions. And I feel kind of, I have mixed feelings on this, but we wear masks unless we're on stage. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if I go off stage for anything, I wear a mask and we try to get in and out of there. Uh, so, and, you know, and I don't blame anybody if they don't want to go out. I completely understand that. Sure. Uh, and so we played, uh, and I, I have physical therapy and they asked me to take a COVID test after I played a gig, which I did, which was negative. Good. So, and I, you know, it, it is hard. And I'll tell you what, the people that make their living from this and, you know, players, and then the guys at my store that have like 30 or 40, 40 students, those are the people this is really tough on. Yeah. You know that. So we're just trying to be careful. I don't go anywhere you know i uh one of my one of my housemates does the shopping usually if i go anywhere i might run into cbs real quick or or uh you know fast food or something like that and you know, just wear a mask and uh i think i'm hoping it'll get better by summer late summer you know but all you can do is, is just be careful well i was you know i was thinking about about that this morning while it was i was out uh, scraping the driveway. We haven't had as much snow today so far as they had forecast. So I was just scraping maybe a half inch if that, that's all that was out there. But I was thinking about the whole situation and with the vaccine hitting and everything, hoping like you just said that by summertime, we'll be in a much better place, maybe not back to true normal, but to, uh, uh, being able to do more normal things, maybe with or without masks, who knows. But then I started thinking, so what happens if this keeps mutating and for the foreseeable future, and I mean foreseeable two, three years, we have to wear masks everywhere we go. And I'm thinking, boy, that would be not so fun. Yeah, that would be not so fun at all. Um, yeah, and, you know, all you can do is adapt to it and, it, and it's hard. You know, listen, online learning is hard. I mean, I'm I'm just a guitar teacher, and the teachers that are teaching online, it, it is not easy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it's a big adjustment, and, and hopefully we need to just hold it together and, and uh, you know, we'll make it out of this, you know, but it is it is a different thing, you know, because uh, now I teach a half, for a half hour, but if you're teaching, you know, for two or three hours, that that's you know, you, you got to keep those kids, uh, attention and that's gotta be tough. Now, when you teach, do you do it with zoom or how do you do it? 
I've done Zoom and I've done Google Meet. Okay. Uh, and it's not bad. The, the problem with Zoom, as you know, if you're talking to someone, it's fine. But when you're playing uh, music, you can't hear each other at the same time. So that's what makes it tough. I have, I play something and then they play it back to me. And then I play something and they play it back. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there is this program called Jam Kazam, but apparently you need some skill and some money to use that. So Zoom has been okay. It tries your patience, but it's not too bad. Yeah. It takes some getting used to, though. Now, do you use your phone or, a, let's say, a laptop no, computer? Yeah, yeah, the laptop. Yeah. The laptop, just just because it's easier. Uh, and, and I'm looking around for some other stuff, you know. I was almost thinking about uh, about um, FaceTime, but I don't think that's the best teaching tool. I was thinking about FaceTime on Facebook, but I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to stick with Zoom, Google Meet, and, and they have updates. But it's, you know, I am... I'm I'm not the greatest computer per- person. I'm like a Rube Goldberg. You know, I stumble around <laughs> to like cobble something together. Yeah, who knows who that is? Yeah, you're, uh, you're, you're aging yourself mentioning that name. <laughs> a lot of the younger people listening are going, "Who?" Oh, uh, I know, I know. Look, they, yeah, they, but you know what? Younger people, I will show them a video of like Jimi Hendrix or Cream or something, and they go, "Wow." Okay, because it's not a movie. It's not a fake. These people are actually playing music. So that's one of the things that I think we got that some younger people don't have is watching something where you're actually doing it live. You're at, you know, just like acoustic stuff. You know, a lot of times if I, if I have a student that wants to learn some acoustic stuff, I'm like, okay, I want you to watch how they do it without all the backup, without the strings, without all the stuff. You know, this is how we did it in the old days. Yeah. And then tuning, of course, you know, the old method where you use the fifth fret, the fourth fret, and then, oh, what is that? How do you do that? Yeah. Now, what, what is outside, and I know, like most of us, you use an electronic tuner, but what is your way of tuning if you can't find your tuner? Oh, uh, well, I'm pretty good. I wouldn't say I have perfect pitch, you know, but usually I can tell if something's, I, I'm pretty good at finding the E and the A. Uh-huh. And then, and then you either use the harmonics or you do the old method where we first started, where you're, you know, fifth mm-hmm. fret on the sixth string, et cetera. You, you do that. And I can remember when I started, they had pitch pipes, which, of course, we don't have. So I'm still a pretty good tuner by ear. Yeah. Um, you know, but the biggest thing is if you're in an open mic or something like that, you're kind of, it's better to have an electronic tuner. Well, yeah, because you really can't hear yourself that well. Um, yeah. like, especially at the Frederick Coffee Company, there was so much chitter chatter going on. Um, it was very, you, you really did need an electronic tuner most of the time. Yeah. And it just, you know, I, and it really, I have a friend, a great fiddle player, violin player, uh, uh, Lavinia Reed. She plays up in Hagerstown. And she said to me one day, how come, you know, do guitar players know how to tune without a tuner? And I said, have you ever seen guitar players argue about who's in tune? And she kind of laughed and said, Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah we're guitar players. <laughs> you know, you, but, uh, yeah, you, but I mean, it is important. That's a thing then. And there's what's called zero beating where you can hear the beats between the notes until yep. you tighten it up and it, mm-hmm. and it rings the same. And, you know, like one of the first lessons, believe it or not, is how to tune with it with and without a tuner and how that works. And that, that's the way you start. Well, it's one of the things. I mean, it's not the first thing I do, but you know, the first thing is you. My first lesson is usually the E minor and the D chord. Yeah, those are probably the two easiest chords to switch back and forth to. 
And, you know, I tell them just have practice. Well, here's the way I look at it. The first thing is to learn the chords, the shapes. Second thing is how to switch the shapes and how and slowly do it slowly, you know, so that so that you can you can switch from one to the other without breaking the beat, right? Then you get into the scales and you get into the different styles of uh, of players, you know. But the first thing to me is just believe it or not, it's a D minor and E chords. Most people can play those, and they come back, they're happy. Mm-hmm. And I tell them if you can come back and play this, I'll be happy. And if if you can play any part of it, you know, the big thing is. And, you know, little kids, do you practice? Yeah. And then you, they, how many times you can play that once? I'm like, no, you got to practice. You, know? you got to, and the other thing I'll tell people, if you don't have 30 minutes, then do 20 minutes, do 15 minutes. If it's in your hand, most people will discover more stuff. Mm-hmm. No, I was watching and in, in playing with regularity. There are times during this, this uh, pandemic where I would go a week or two weeks without playing the guitar for some reason. Um, I didn't have to rehearse necessarily because I didn't have many gigs. The And what I'm learning is I have to really think about what I'm playing. And it was, I was watching this earlier today a video. It was a live stream in Nashville by Tommy Emanuel, the, the virtuoso certified oh, guitar yeah. player. Oh, my God. And it was taped in September this past year, and it was for veterans, uh, guitars for vets trying to raise money and he's he's about three quarters away through the hour and he says you know during this pandemic i haven't played as often because we haven't had gigs and he says i'm in the stage now where i have to really think about what i'm playing he said it's the first time in my life in a long time i've had to think about it he says take some of the fun away he says but i have to concentrate and he says that's because i haven't played as much and he meant gigging out where yeah. he'll, you know, play. So it is important for people. And I'm with you, even if you can only pick it up for five minutes. Yeah. And I've seen just over the years, I can remember going to a jam. I mean, I laid off it for a while, but I, I, I laid off bands. Okay. I, mm-hmm. uh, in like the, I don't know, late, uh, uh, eighties, I didn't play for about five years. And then I on and off now I'm playing with a vengeance, but I never stopped playing. So I, luckily enough, it, it entertained me enough, but it, it's definitely a difference, you know? And the other thing is, is, uh, I would like, and, and I think it's more normal and acoustic. You'll see people with music stands and with the lyrics in mm-hmm. front of them. Mm-hmm. I would rather know the lyrics and, and that way I'm not thinking about them. They're going to come out and you could put more emotion into it and you can have more fun. But, but yeah, it definitely has an effect. You know, the, the, when you, when you lay off a little bit, you know, and when a student lays off a new student, oh, forget it. You yeah. Know? But but even with us, right? You, you know, and I. That's one of the reasons why I teach. It keeps me going. It keeps me playing. Now, how, with the instruction aside, let's just say for a two week period, there's no teaching for whatever reason. Right. How much time per day do you play? Uh, sometimes a half hour, sometimes two hours. Yeah. It, you know, usually. usually I just get on the computer and uh, I just jam out for at least an hour a day. And, mm-hmm. and it, some of it is music that we play in the band. Some of it is just stuff that I like. Uh, I'll pick up the acoustic uh, or the banjo. But, you know, an hour a day is about average. Now, are you? do you tend to be an improviser in your lead work? Or, I mean, obviously in some songs they want to yeah. hear the lead that's, that was done by the, the artist. But 
um, do you prefer to improvise or do you prefer to play pretty much note for note, whatever was played in that song? You know, if I really love the song, I will try to get, you know, at least 70 or 80% of it. And like Crossroads, you know, people say, oh, you play it just like Cream. Well, I have the highlights, you know, mm -hmm. but in between those, when I'm improvising, I'm still trying to get the tone and the feel, you know, of Eric Clapton. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there are other songs where uh, I will I will just improvise, you know, I'll come up with something. And it depends. Like if you look at the Beatles, George Harrison always reinforced the melody. Mm -hmm. So that's one way that you do it. But I, I do like the improv. And uh, it's funny, you know, I took a couple of lessons from a guy named Mac Walter who used to play with Deanna Bogart. And he said, you can hear a melody in almost anything. Because I wanted to learn, I'm not a jazz player, but he played some jazz chords and he said, play something. He said, oh, you can hear a melody in anything. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. You know, just anything, it's crazy that, you know, the alarm's going off, and I hear a little melody sometimes in between. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Now, is is that because you learned your scales really well, or is it something where you just kind of, you know where the notes are, and so you just go to them? I think that, you know, I'm, I, and there are people that are way better than me, but I think I'm one of those people. I'm a field player, you know, I can, I could the emotion uh, the notes, the ideas, uh, and also the scale work, you know, does help. Uh, and of course I did mostly pentatonic scales, but I've now recently have been, uh, doing more modes and stuff like that, you know, within the, within the classical context, it's, it's some of it's very close to blues. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just liked what I heard. And this is the thing, you know, you, your students say, well, how did you learn that? I played it about a million times. Yeah. You got it, you know, and that's the whole thing is that you've got it, you've got to do it a lot. So I learned a lot of scales. And then when I was in high school, of course, we were lucky back in the 70s. That was an intensive learning period because, it, you know, you got in a band and you, you played at the parties or the proms or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I do think younger people do tend, if you get the bug, if you're into it, then, they're, you know, and I've had students that can, you know, they can outplay me, but I'm fine because I taught them. Yeah. But they got enthused about it, and just it's amazing sometimes. Now, have you had any students in your last 15 years of your teaching career who have gone on to become fairly well-known in bands or joined well-known? No, I've got some of them are great players, but usually uh, I'm going to college. I'm, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, they'll take a different path. I have one student I'm very curious about because she was a super bass player, and I'm not sure. Nothing that I've heard. I do have one, this is funny, I had a guitar student who was a, just the nicest girl and was real into a lot of playing, and she's now doing artwork. And I always knew she was going to do something somewhere with music or art, but it was art. Mm -hmm. But nobody, no, unfortunately, I don't know anybody uh, anybody that's really made it big off of me. Oh, well. Now, did you teach her, um, help her learn bass? Are you a bass player as well? I am a bass teacher. I, I, I have a lot of, this is funny, I always say my best friends are bass players, and I have four or five bass players who I know, and so I am not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay on the bass. I'm adequate, but I know how it works. I know how a bass player works with a drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know, you know, the ba and I know that if I'm going to play bass, I'm not going to play bass like a guitar player. Yeah. There is a difference. Uh, no, this girl came to me and she could already play keyboards and clarinet and violin. And so when we started on guitar, 
acoustic guitar and then she got an electric bass and it all of a sudden was like, Oh my God, you, mm. you, you know, I taught her some real technical stuff very slowly. And then she could speed it up and you like the band rush is an extremely technical band. And, and she just blew my mind cause she could play all that stuff. Mm. And I'm sure, but you know what I've noticed that the kids that I've taught that have a background on piano, they can hear stuff on guitar. They just, they've already heard it and they, they can hear it more than some other people. And, you know, they used to tell us that piano is the basis for all music. And really uh, the piano players that I've taught really do have a little extra perception. So if you were able to give advice to kids pre musical training, you know, you could get them to understand it and, and comprehend at the age of, say, four or five, and they say, I want to be a, a musician or I want to play guitar like my dad or whatever. Would you recommend that everyone take piano for a period of time? Um, it, it's, it couldn't hurt. You know, uh, the biggest thing there that I found, yeah, and if they're little, it's the motivation part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, I, I have a friend whose little sister played piano. Her parents were very good piano players, but she never played any rock music. She never played any music she liked. So when she was like 15, they said, okay, you can stop lessons. And she never went back, which is a shame. Yeah. So I think that one of the lessons is to teach the child, you know, and, and to, you know, make sure they're learning, but to also, Every once in a while, find something they want to do. Find something they want to play. Sure. Um, but definitely, piano is a great foundation, you know. And uh, I would say, yeah, any any piano, you know, like I said, Eddie Van Halen, he was taught classical piano. And if you listen to some of the stuff he did later, you can hear the influence. I've, I was constantly, and I am still constantly amazed, when someone who I know as a guitar player and we're somewhere where there's a piano, and they'll walk over and start playing the piano extremely well. And I, I, and I, I always am amazed that they can play piano. They go, well, no, I took lessons for five years, or I, that was my first instrument. Yeah, I think that happened with a lot of kids. And I think, I mean, it's great if you can get a kid to play a violin, but that is a hard instrument to make it sound good. Well, uh, what, it's, it's not a soloist uh, instrument. No, it's it's hard. And... I'll tell you what, if you listen to some Neil Young, some of the stuff that he did on piano, I I can tell sometimes, I think there's certain things that he wrote on the piano more than on the guitar, Mm -hmm. because playing a piano-based song on guitar is a little bit tough. Yeah, it is. Some of the old uh, standards that uh, people say, oh, could you learn whatever, and I'll, I'll get the sheet music. And I'm like, I can't play that. <laughs> One, yeah, the, oh, yeah. the chords are just chords I can't wrap my head around, or there's so many in a, a bar that I just can't do it. And it's because the, on the piano, there it's notes and, and chords. You get so much, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, my dad really liked the, the jazz piano guys, you know, and some of those guys, it's just mind-blowing, you know. Well, I did, my dad, you know, he gave me a, a Wes Montgomery uh, album to listen to when I started playing guitar, and I'm like, you think I'm going to play that? Oh, my God, Dad. <laughs> now, did you ever get to anywhere close? I, You know, I'm, I can do some quasi... I can do some jazz stuff. I mean, like in the, in the rock band, we'll do, we do a version of uh, Moon Dance by Van Morrison. I get pretty jazzy. Once in a while, I'm I'm going towards it, but it's taken me a long time. 
Would you say that part of the reason you're a success in, you know, playing in bands and things like that is because you, you can venture over to, to jazz or classical, whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're kind of a a well-rounded guy that they say, well, can we do this in a jazzy way? Sure. You can figure out a way because a lot of people are very, they're very stuck in, you know, well, I've kind of become a chameleon, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, some of the open mics I did. I mean, look, honestly, all how to run an open mic. I took that from you and from Tommy Wright watching you guys. So as far as, you know, giving everybody a chance, being supportive, not playing favorites. And then naturally, you know, I can play a lot of different songs in a lot. So usually if it's within the classic rock or country rock or, or some kind of, if I've heard it, I can usually accompany somebody. Now, when uh, you, I've, got, I've gotten luck. No, finish up. I'm sorry. Well, no, the other thing I was going to say, you know, when we were first going to do this electric open mic, you know, uh, Zach maybe was running it. You know, Zach has a studio in town. He's a super bass player. Mm-hmm. And he called me, he said, are you coming to open mic? And I said, I was thinking about it. Why? You want me to come up? And he said, well, you know, a lot of different songs who can actually sing some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the funny thing about open mic. Sometimes somebody will come up and they'll have some songs they, they want to do. Well, can you sing them? No. All right. Well, then we're going to do this song. Why do I have to do this song? Because you can't sing it. Yeah. I, you know, so, And then sometimes like the coolest part of... Uh, uh, the open mic, which I kind of took a page from you. I remember at the end of the night at the Frederick Coffee Company, we'd get the house band. We'd get a bunch of different people to come up. Mm-hmm. You know, the jammers would come up. And that's what we would do at Crusaders. You know, most of the night was taken up by, you know, different bands. And in the last, like, 45 minutes, I would say, all right, you, 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 you're going up, you're playing together. Um, you know, so that, so yeah, I'm lucky, you know, it's funny. I was, I thought I was heavy metal, but I'm not a heavy metal guy. I'm just, I play a little of everything, but I just like to play loud and dirty sometimes. Well, from a live performance standpoint, I remember you and I having a conversation because you, you wanted to have a recital for your students right. and you were trying to figure out, you know, where, cause we were having the discussion where you could do it. And I got the impression after the fact, when you had done them, that that was something you wanted to give the kids, give them the opportunity, but you also seemed like you really enjoyed watching and listening to them. Oh, yeah. And and the thing is, you know, like I said, I have some great friends, you know, my friend John Penn, who's a great bass player. John Jameson has a, a band called Dangerous Curse, a great heavy metal singer, and we knew a couple of drummers. So when the parents would see the students playing with, 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 and, you know, Johnny would bring lights and everything, you know, we did it at the Grange Hall down in, uh, uh, off of Frederick and the parents, every one of them or the wives, you know, whoever had the students said, Oh my God, I didn't realize they could play like that. Yeah. And yeah, the best part was the kids hanging out and talking to each other without the adults, without me, without their mom and dad, but actually just hanging out, talking about music. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was, yeah, we called that the Sam Jam. I did two or three of those at the Grange Hall, and uh, I, it was lucky enough to have friends that could help me out. And, and yeah, and it's enjoyable. It's it's so fun to watch them. Uh, you know, the youngest kid that probably played was about seven, and he got up there and he played Sun, Sunshine of Your Love with us. <laughs> and his mom said, he almost cried, but then he did it, you know? Yeah. So, and yeah, I like to get people out to play. That's why, you know... 
you'd see me playing uh, like Fran Tucker, you know, I'm, I'm kind of Fran's musical director. Sometimes she'll say, hey, what do you think about this song? And, and you know, every once in a while, you know, because a lot of people I teach, we're, we're friends anyway. And so, you know, I would play with her at the open mic. Sometimes Robert Pereira, we would we would work out some stuff in advance. You know, and it's it's just I like backing people up, and I like live performance. And you know, back in high school, that was the logical thing to do once you got a band together was to play in front of people. Well, and you were talking about the jam and the kids getting together amongst themselves. And when I was a teenager, when we when I started playing guitar, none of us played well. There was one fellow who was more proficient, but he wasn't. He didn't live close to me, so we couldn't get together. We would sit around and just say, well, this is how you play an E minor. And we'd all learn the E minor. And, you know, or if you finally learned three chords where you could play a progression, you'd sit there and you'd all play the progression until somebody would try to play a little bit of lead. And this was right. this was a combination of acoustic guitars and electric because we were switching back and forth. But that's how we learned. I never took formal lessons. I wish I had. I really wish I had taken piano. And we did have a piano, but it was not tunable. The, and I remember my mom asking when I was probably seven or eight, would you like to take piano lessons? No, I want to go out and play baseball. <laughs> right. Well, with me, it was model airplanes till I was about 10 or 11. And, and then I had been interested because there were, and oh, I got to mention this. So I had, I had cousins and they, they were nuts about the Beatles. They were older than us. So they would send us Beatles albums. So finally, like I said, you know, and it just, after my bar mitzvah, which I never thought I was going to learn all that stuff, and I ended up learning, I said, my mom said, do you want to play guitar? And I had the confidence to say, yeah, mm-hmm. I think I can do it. Yeah, but when you're younger, a lot of people are not. Yeah. And the other thing I would say to anybody whose kid wants to just what the kid likes, if they like rock and roll, if they like country, if they like banjo, if you see them doing something, encourage that because that's going to really get their focus on that one thing. And you know, music, I mean, you make friends, you meet people, you learn history. It's, it's, it's nothing about music, I think. that, that and, and the other thing is, my parents, now, I didn't do that, that, that many stupid things when I was a teenager. But it was never a thing of where you can't play your guitar because, you know, they're always pushing me to play, mm-hmm. no matter what. Yeah. No matter what. Now, were you the only one in your family who played guitar? No, I have my sister, Lisa, who's five years younger than me, and I stole a lot of the acoustic stuff off of her. <laughs> we we go back and forth, you know, so she started out, but she was more of the acoustic finger picking. She's really good. I mean, I'm okay. She's technical, but, but we go back and forth. But, yeah, she started playing, and actually we did, after the electric bands, we did an acoustic thing for a while, and using a capo and playing in different keys forced me to be a little bit better of a lead guitar player. Because once you put a capo on a guitar, it all changes. Yeah. You know, so so uh, it was a combination. But yeah, but what you were talking about before we had bands, right. Uh, it's the same thing. A bunch of us would just be sitting around and, you know, going back and forth and trying to figure some stuff out. Now, do you, you and your sister ever get a chance to play together in today's world or, you know, before Once pandemic? A, uh, because of what's going on, she's come over a couple times when the weather was warm and we, we, we sat out at a distance on the back porch and played a little. Yeah. Um, but it's been a while. Now, did she yeah. ever perform live or is, is her playing more at home? Now, we had a band, oh my God, we had a band called Jam and Biscuits. The, 
uh, back uh, back in the nineties. We we actually played a couple times at, uh, in Frederick at the uh, what is that the the, ta- the the old town tavern. Oh yeah. Um, but it was just, you know, it was just too much for her. She has a normal job and she needed her brain. So, you know, you can go out and play late. It gets hard. <laughs> so what do you hope for once we get the, um, pandemic under control and we can get back to more normal life? Well, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to do more gigs with both bands. And if I can find a way to do it, I, I would love to run an open mic, but it is, it is hard to find. Well, you know, who knows when they'll come back, you right. know, but it's hard to find a good place to do an open mic. You know, that's the thing. Either, uh, you know, we had one at Zipany for a while, but mm-hmm. the city of Frederick complicated that. Uh, and, and, you know, so I would love to do another open mic at some point. That's probably where I play more acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm hoping just for, you know, just to play more music. I'm slowly learning on the computer how to record. It's nothing great yet, but. Um, but that's what I think, just music, uh, you know, more music, computer recording, and, um, you know, hopefully we can rebuild, you know, because the thing about Frederick, we do have a great community, uh, more on the acoustic side, we have a great community of players. Mm-hmm. It's true. You know, we have great guys, some really nice people, and, and it would be nice to see them, you know, so I'm hoping for a chance to play acoustic. I did do an acoustic thing over the summer at Elk Run. I remember because in my weekly update, I remember, and I said to Carol, oh, Sam's playing at Elk Run this weekend. And unfortunately, we couldn't get over there. Well, Scott, you know, is a very nice guy, Scott Barrett. And uh, so, you know, I I can play by myself. I can play with the band. Well, yeah, and the other thing I want to say real quick is musicians, have confidence in yourself. You know, if you have a gig, just, okay. I have a gig. I'll learn some stuff for this gig. And, and, you know, look at the approach, you know, a lot of people put roadblocks up, which I did too. If you get a gig somewhere, you know, if I get a gig somewhere, I'm like, okay, I can sing, you know, if I keep, if I keep it together and I don't sing real high, I can, I can entertain people with an acoustic guitar and play with a band. I can put my own project together, you know? And, um, so that's the thing. And, you know, don't limit yourself. Well, one of the things that I found appealing, and I think everyone else has and probably still does, is you are very real on stage, almost disarmingly so. And I think it puts people at ease. The, um, I mean, you're a natural entertainer in that because so many performers are so uptight when they perform. And I understand nerves. I still get them at the age of 70 and performing for, you know, many, many, many years. And I'm sure you have some, but you always seem so totally relaxed and you have a wonderful way in which you include the audience in your performance, not meaning that they're playing shaker eggs or whatever, although that has happened, but it's, you allow them into your world, so to speak. You don't seem to have any hangups of, you know, putting a fence in front of you. And I think that's one of the reasons people seem to seem to be drawn to you when you're on stage. At least it is for me. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, it's just, I'm really good at off the cuff. I'm really good at just talking. Uh, and one of the things, it's funny when I first was working at music and arts, one of the things that my boss who knew me, emphasize was that my thing is to get people up in front of other people to play live, to learn how to get up there and actually make the music in front of people. But you know, you gotta be yourself. I mean, the thing is, 
and I'm lucky. I'm a lead guitar player. If I get nervous, I just play faster. Uh, you know? But, um, yeah, everybody gets nerves once in a while. And the thing is, you have to let it flow. You know, just sitting there and doing everything mechanically perfect is not the same as letting it flow. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in realism. And in the real world, there are missed notes and the wrong chord and slightly oh, yeah. flat vocal and... As long as it's not too much yeah. at one time and it's a train wreck, it's actually endearing. And I think it makes other people feel at ease saying, well, because I've heard some big time people make mistakes and actually stop right in the middle of a song. And these are people you'd think would never make mistakes. Right. But it, it's almost like there's a sigh of relief from the audience. Oh, they really are a normal person like I am. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's the thing. These are just people. We've all had those moments, you know. Luckily, it's, it's, it's not very often. Every once in a while, you know, you get a little bit stuck, you know. But but it's better to be human, you know. And, and thank God, music for me, you know, there's no, you know, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not thinking about anything. I just want to help. Yeah. And you just want to play. Yeah, I just want to play. I want to help people. I want And, and, and the other thing, it's an it's, 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 it's it's an exchange of energy. Yes. The audience gives you energy, you give it back. That's the best. Yeah, it really is. Well, Sam, this has been delightful. I have missed speaking with you, and I hope, and Carol does too, that sometime soon we can actually be in the same room or in the same space where we can see each other because you, that would be nice. you are a special person. I hope you realize that, and you were always a highlight whenever there was a performance whether it was open mic or Christmas show, especially the Christmas show, you were a huge part of that. And uh, maybe we can do one of those again. Who knows? But I pre- be great. Hey, I appreciate it. Right back at you, Todd. You're, you're a class act. Well, thank you, Sam. And I hope you um, do well during this snowstorm that so far is not that big of a snowstorm. We have another 24 hours to go, I think. But uh, now this yeah, be- I've got Yeah, I've got guitars and supplies. I'm good. All right. Well, Sam, thanks Sorry. again. And hopefully we'll talk, talk soon. All right, I'm going to send you a video of the house band. Oh, I'd love to have it. Thank you very much. All right. All right. All right. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was Sam Biskin, a terrific man. He really is. And uh, like I, I said, when he performs, he's so real. And it's so much fun to be in his presence wherever he's playing. And although this is an acoustic-based podcast, he was so much a part of the local acoustic scene, even though he brought his electric guitar many, many times. He did does play acoustic as well. I thought it was important that he be part of the alumni of the, the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio podcast series. So thanks again, Sam, and thank you folks for listening. And we're going to go out with a little bit of bumper music. The Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mob Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist, including the music bed you're listening to now, and that actually is produced by a gentleman by the name of Jason Shaw, and he puts together royalty-free music. All he does is hopes that you will donate to help him keep his business going, which I did. 
And uh, his website is audionautics.com. If you'd like to get some music for your podcast or movie or YouTube or whatever you're doing, please check him out. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link, wispymopmusic.podbean.com, or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks again. <laughs>